0: Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students.
1: Hello and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast. I'm Eleanor Johnson and today we're lucky to be joined by Marcus Findlay and Oliver Haswell, who'll be talking to us about the route to pupillage from the perspective of both an applicant and a mentor. Marcus has recently secured pupillage in criminal law at 15 New Bridge Street and in the meantime is a caseworker at Advocate, which is formerly the bar pro bono unit. Oliver Haswell is a criminal barrister at Drystone Chambers and has been Marcus's mentor during the pupillage application process. Thank you both of you for joining.
2: You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Marcus, congratulations on obtaining pupillage.
2: Thank you so much.
1: That's really, really impressive. Must be very happy.
2: Yeah, it's just just about sunk in now.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah.
2: Still, still delighted, obviously.
1: Could you uh, please tell us a little bit about your route to the bar?
2: Yes, absolutely. I guess it all started well my, with my first experience of of the law, really, and that was on work experience, school's work experience, uh, when I was fifteen years old with a high street criminal law firm in Crew, which is where I'm from, and that was an opportunity for me to see law in action in the local magistrate's court and also the Crown Court in Chester where I spent about five days with the CPS as well and I knew from that moment that uh, criminal law in particular was something that I wanted to do. It just seemed very glamorous, very exciting and and very important but I um, actually didn't study law initially. I I studied French and German first of all down in London at UCL but still still wanted to, to go and do law eventually once that I found out that you could do a law conversion. Um, but in the meantime, I, I wanted to do things that would assist me later in my legal career. So, for example, uh, on my year abroad, um, I spent half a year or so in Paris where I worked at a human rights organisation. And that really affirmed to me that uh, law was something that I wanted to do. And I wanted to work in areas of law which involved people, which, of course, criminal law, is one. But I still didn't make the jump to the legal conversion course. Um, after that, my first degree, I went actually to Vienna, uh, where I did a postgraduate degree in international relations, and then finally came back to uh, London, where I, I started the GDL, then did the BPTC with a combined LLM uh, at, the, at City Law School, and was called at Gray's Inn in, in 2018. And uh, since finishing the BPTC, I've been working at Advocate, the bar's pro bono charity where, as a caseworker where I've been for the last two and a half years. So that's, uh, in a nutshell, my route to the bar after having been recently offered pupillage.
1: It's interesting to hear about how you gained all this legal experience um, when you weren't doing a law degree, because I know a real problem that a lot of people who aren't doing a law degree face is how to get that legal experience. So law students will often have mooting opportunities and things like that. How did you find the legal opportunities which you took, which then helped you to obtain pupillage?
2: Yeah, so I was, like I said, I knew from quite early on that that was something I wanted to do and was quite proactive from even during my undergraduate degree in a non-law subject. So I had already done the kind of work experience with the high street law firm and crew and the CPS, as I mentioned, that helped me, I guess, get my first mini pupillages, which I did before law school of course not having done any legal education at the time it was all a bit confusing but it was exciting and affirmed that I wanted to do that i was also involved with the law society at university or what was called the law for all society we weren't actually at that time allowed to join the university law society as non law students <laughs> and that was another good way of getting some experience and actually realizing that i wasn't really interested in becoming a solicitor at a corporate firm um, as many of my peers were and that actually involved a trip to grays inn as well during that that period we did a, a guided tour and i suppose that was useful in just really understanding what it meant to be a barrister but there were lots of rejections from you know applications to chambers or law firms for work experience it's, it's it is a difficult area to get into as i'm sure we will discuss further later on but that that was what i did and i suppose i just did related related work in the non profit sector, which I think is incredibly useful. You you gain a lot of experience above your pay grade quite early on. That was transferable experience. But I did a lot of other things as well, including making coffee, cocktails, pulling pints, that kind of thing yeah. as well. Which I think actually is also a useful experience too.
1: As you said, a very a difficult profession to get into, but with all the different skills that you've gained, you've shown the the benefit of resilience and thinking outside the box, really. Um, Oliver, you were Marcus's mentor. How did yep. you become Marcus's mentor and what did that involve?
0: Well, that's a, a long story. I um, I was lucky enough, uh, probably about two and a half or so years ago, to be asked by Grayson to train as a trainer. So part of the INS function is to assist with People before qualification, and in fact, in their early years of practice, in terms of honing their advocacy skills and their ethics knowledge. I'd been in practice for probably about 10 or 12 years, and um, I've had a close relationship with Greys throughout, who have supported me in many different ways. And I was delighted when um, I was approached and asked if I'd like to become um, an advocacy trainer. That process, I didn't realise at the time, involved a, a week long training course um, where they really put us through the mill in order to teach us the very unique techniques that are required to teach advocacy and Marcus happened to be one of the volunteers who effectively had come along to play the guinea pig while we tested our skills as trainers Um, and over the course of the, the the weekend he and I spoke on a number of occasions when we were having breaks and um He demonstrated to me fairly quickly that he had a real interest in in criminal law. Um, He was a personable and interesting chap, which is always helpful, and um, just asked if he would be able to touch base with me in the future if if the point arose where I might be of assistance to him. And I said, of course, absolutely no problem at all. And uh, from there started the relationship in terms of uh, helping him along his route um, to securing pupillage in the last few weeks, which I must say I'm absolutely delighted. Marcus has worked so hard Um, I don't want to um, blow too many trumpets but he has really demonstrated commitment and he's worked tirelessly to increase his performance in interviews and it's um, now evident from his offer for a good set of chambers that he's uh, he's met the mark and I'm really pleased for him.
1: It's really lovely to hear that I think It also really confirms the impression that I've got of Grozin and of the members of Grozin, where you can just ask anybody for assistance or for advice. And people are so willing to help um, just out of pure generosity. And so it's really lovely to hear that that is the case here as well.
0: Well, that, that's the way the bar works. I mean, I'm, I was called in 2006, and every day is, is a school day for me, if you pardon the pun. I, I go to court. I, I do my best to prosecute and defend, depending on what my particular um, brief is at that point in time. But I know that I'm surrounded by colleagues who have more experience than I do or other ways of approaching problems. And the bar's collegiate attitude allows anyone and everyone to to tap into that enormous um, knowledge bank and it's it it seems appropriate that we share it amongst ourselves in terms of those who are qualified but equally we help those who aspire to do what we do on a daily basis and Gray's really does embody that it's it's a remarkably informal friendly in to be a member of but it it really looks after um, the people who who join and um, part and parcel of me being a mentor and, and continuing to support the Inn in any way I can is, is effectively just paying back the enormous help that they provided me over the years and uh, that's how I see this profession continuing into the future, it's how it's existed for many centuries, it's about uh, being one uh, and helping everyone to be the best that they can.
1: Mm, that real collegiate atmosphere is, is definitely something that's an attraction of the bar. Yeah Marcus, Oliver's spoken about your interview technique. What did you learn from your pupillage application process, which you think others could benefit from?
2: Well, that's that's actually a very big question. And there's a lot of material out there on this subject already, which I studied as well. And I would probably just start answering that question by just mentioning some of the resources that I use to prepare for interviews. There is actually another podcast called the Pupillage Podcast, which um, many will know run by some barristers at five Essex courts, and that they cover a whole uh, range of, of subjects on pupilage application process, and, and that, that was incredibly valuable. I think, uh, other than that then, it's incredibly important to really understand and love your subject, and, and to really to tailor your application to, towards that. And I think that involves really immersing yourself in the subject and learning to love it. And sometimes it does require a bit of effort before you've understood something and really do learn to love it. And that, I think, really comes from immersing yourself in the current affairs, in the, the very basic parts of substantive criminal law, in our case, or, and procedural law, the professional ethics. And I think just reading anything and everything on the subject that comes your way. Another good resource, I think, that uh, many will know as well, from the inner temple is the inner temple current affairs email that comes around every day which is a bespoke legal current affairs email list that is incredibly useful i think as well to start understanding what questions might come up a lot of it as well came from actually applying and and in many cases being successful and learning from the experience that way, um, speaking to people through the inn, through your through law school as well, trying to get information from them was incredibly useful. I think peer support, we've touched upon the collegiate character of the bar. I think that is also reflected very much among peers at law school as well. So that, that was incredibly useful. And also the resources that the law schools and that the inn provide, such as the, um, the mock interview process, the one-to-ones with mentors both in the inn and law school were all very useful. So there was a lot of material out there already, but that was how I prepared, really. I think, in essence, it was just mastering the basics of of the subject that I was interested in or the practice area that I was interested in and just immersing myself in that fully, whether that was through conversations with Ollie or or others or, in my own time, just reading what the current affairs and and latest developments in law and practice were.
1: You clearly took the initiative and um, did the research yourself, did the work yourself, and I imagine that takes a lot of resilience, a lot of patience, a lot of hard work. Um, And you also spoke about learning from previous applications, and we've all applied for things which we haven't been successful in, and it can be a really disheartening experience. But how did you turn that into a positive and continue all of the hard work which you clearly did and which eventually paid off?
2: I think ultimately it's about motivation you in order to motivate yourself to do the hard work that is inevitably required you have to have a very strong vision of yourself in doing this vocation and it is a vocation it is you have to really want to do it you have to really love it i was fortunate enough to know the bar quite well through my experiences through the inn and my my bar course but also through working at the bars pro bono charity advocate i i work with barristers day in day out i probably work with barristers more than barristers do themselves i'd like to think <laughs> certainly a a great uh, um, spectrum of barristers across different areas of law and i think that really affirmed my desire to go to the bar ultimately and that it was worth putting the hours in so i think it's ultimately you just have to ask yourself your question can you imagine yourself there do you from what you know, would you enjoy doing it? And that, if that, if the answer to that question is yes, I want to do this, then you just have to keep going. The resilience that's required is is not easy. Um, it, it's difficult. It's always difficult getting rejected. Um, it's always difficult reading painful feedback. But I think where you have to go through a pain barrier ultimately to learn, and that requires. Uh, allowing yourself to be humbled by the feedback that you get Um, and actually thinking in a quite clinically, I suppose, about where you can really improve and then you just have to do it and really focus on really where you need to improve, whether that's advocacy, whether that's understanding current affairs better and and, and the for and against arguments that you need to develop. I think, yes, it's ultimately that last 10% really of success in my experience, is the most painful one. And that's where you really have to do a lot of self-examination. Ollie and I often would discuss notes I'd made on on interviews I'd had and where I could have improved. Um, And that was actually quite a useful learning um, tool as well that I would recommend listeners doing, is actually keeping a good note of what was asked in an interview, what you think could have been better, what you think you did well, and then going over that and discussing it with maybe somebody through the inn or somebody you know, from law school, etc. But um, I think that was probably in the last couple of times applying was the most useful thing to do, actually, to to have a a good comprehensive note of what you've done already, and improving upon that note and practicing it as well with somebody that actually knows more than you, which, of course, um, with Ollie, is is, is, I have somebody to do that with.
0: And can I just say, actually, that's, that's a very important point that Mark has just raised. And I know, from a mentor's perspective, it's sometimes very difficult to share the pain that your mentee is feeling, albeit that I'm not, as it were, um, the recipient of of the negative feedback. But what Marcus did, which I would commend to anybody, is to take from the interview process uh, as much positivity as he could do. And that involved him putting together Um, A very structured, very detailed um, self-reflection of what he did well, what he did badly, what feedback he was given, what kinds of questions he was asked, whether he felt he'd researched or was knowledgeable on those topics, uh, or whether he needs to read more around those particular areas. And that level of self-examination, which is painful and takes time, is exactly what is needed to polish and learn and improve And over the two years that Marcus and I have been working together, it's been evident that that self-reflection has been fundamental in terms of him becoming the number one candidate for the chambers that um, offered him pupillage. It's a very difficult thing to do. Nobody likes to expose their own weaknesses. Nobody likes to reflect upon where they've gone wrong. Nobody likes to admit defeat, but it's critical because at the bar, you can't win every case. And the only way you bounce back and the only way you deliver a better performance and a better outcome for your client or for the, the CPS is to accept where you went wrong, reflect upon it, and improve upon it. That's why the bar is such a unique profession, because you are on your own, you're in court, you're the master of your own advocacy and at times you will know because either the judge tells you or the jury tell you that you've gone wrong and you have to be able to assess why that was and build upon it. People who don't take criticism easily should look elsewhere because the bar on a daily basis asks you to critique your own performance and understand what your failings are. and and it takes real strength of character to to work with that. and And what I saw in Marcus over the last two years was a real development in his ability to assess where he'd done well and more importantly, where he'd gone wrong and, and to improve upon it. So the interview process, the, uh, the the striving for pupillage is is often about falling and picking yourself up. Not many people will get pupillage at the first time of asking. Uh, and the ones who end up with pupillage are the people who routinely pick themselves up, evaluate where they went wrong, and improve upon that the next time.
2: Just to piggyback on that if i if I may Ollie, I think there's something to be said as well in the process of of producing one of these reflective notes as well that is useful. When you come back to it again, you can fill in the blanks often of of where uh, you might have answered questions not so well you can look up things etc it, it is the process of of producing one of those notes as part of the self-examination that is just as valuable as the self-examination itself in my view mm. um, and and also it's a useful note to go back to if, if you're if you're invited to a second round interview for example to think what have you been asked before and often the questions that you're asked will be the same ac- across different chambers and if you've got a well-prepared note already that just The process itself does help you understand the issues better. It does help you to understand the finer points of of a debate, of a development in the law, etc.
1: I think this focus on self-reflection is extremely useful to applicants. I think when perhaps an interview or, as, as you said, in your career, a case goes slightly wrong, it can be very tempting, I'm sure, to just ignore it and to try to forget about it. When actually these can be the times where it's most important to really reflect and to learn from that. Oliver, do you think that it's perhaps easier to do that with somebody else looking at your work? So, for example, a mentor, because sometimes it can be quite difficult, can't it, to really reflect on your own experience?
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think you need to have the strength of character to to, to, to go through the process yourself. But Looking at it from the outside as as Marcus's mentor, I found those documents, those self-reflective critiques of his interviews incredibly valuable because it gave me a framework as well to work out where I could best help him. And what was routinely emerging was elements of how he delivered in advocacy and how um, his personality did or didn't come across. From a mentor's point of view, that was my guide as to how, best to spend my time with Marcus and how to improve um, those particular areas and it it led us I think into through using Zoom and, and other similar platforms some really good sort of mock advocacy scenarios where I could actually see him and hear him and act as a difficult and tempestuous judge from time to time and, mm-hmm. and put him under the thumb and see how he reacted to being interrupted and asked some very probing and difficult questions. And it was through that process that I'd like to think his confidence grew, but equally he started to appreciate what good advocacy is all about and what a good barrister delivers on a daily basis. And it, it's, it's actually the point that Marcus made at the very beginning of his introduction, which is that he wanted to work with people and lawyers are often seen as being uh, in some respects robotic the law is a a series of uh, rules and regulations um, and we trot them out and we apply them but actually day to day what we're doing is we're representing people who are for good reasons or bad at a very very low point in their life with a lot to lose um, liberty and other things besides and the skill of a good advocate is to get the law right and to hit the right tones in terms of what the law should or should not say or how it should be applied. But more importantly, to sell the client's story, to create empathy with your tribunal. And it was through the the feedback that Marcus got, his self-reflection, and then he and I sitting down and going through it that we worked out that really what we needed to do was add a bit more sort of humanity in a way to his delivery his deliveries were very good they were very accurate in the law but what he needed to do a bit more was to develop his client's story and to be able to sell that and options for the court so that rather than saying well your client must go to prison they were prepared in a in a advocacy scenario to to consider other options suspended sentences and, and what have you and that's the gift of a real advocate is to show insight into their client and their and their predicament and, and to then reflect that in the delivery to the court. So the court gets it as well. And in my experience, people who have the ability to communicate with others of all walks of life who are socially able, i.e. put them in a room with a load of strangers and they will strike up a conversation, those are the kinds of characters that will prosper at the bar. And it's not to say that you can't develop those skills, far from it, but there are certain things that you can do to help you along the way. Uh, And and it can be as simple as just being more sociable. Uh, I joined the Drama Society when I was doing my undergraduate law degree and trod the boards. I was lucky enough to perform up at the Edinburgh Festival. And that taught me about delivery, but it taught me about playing to an audience, which is what barristers do. You know, If I can convince a thousand strangers at the Edinburgh Fringe that um, my character is believable um, through my tone and through my delivery then i can convince a judge that my client shouldn't go to prison and it's that kind of level of communication it's about a story it's about connection it's about empathy simply it's about insight and understanding and these are human skills these aren't lawyer skills these are things that everyone has and i think that having a mentor just allows you to become less of a robot, less of a law student, and more of a human being. And certainly, not that Marcus is a robot at all, but that was my experience of mentoring him, that as we moved, um, certainly through the last six months, he really started to perform um, in a way that was more human-driven and less legal-driven. And that, that I think... Um, It's something that isn't necessarily taught at university or law school. You know, you're told you must pass your degree, you must do this, you must know the law. Nobody sits you down and says you have to be able to communicate with people. You have to be able to win them over and and, and gain their trust. Uh, And and that, I think, is something that you can't learn from a textbook. You can't learn necessarily in a stale classroom environment. You need somebody where they have a relationship of of trust, which I think Marcus and I developed, and and where he was in a, a safe place to practice his advocacy and know that if I was giving him negative feedback it wasn't because I didn't appreciate what he told me or said to me or how he delivered his advocacy but it was because I cared and I wanted him to do better and um, that's I think the strength of of the mentoring relationship is that you have that level of trust that you can be more yourself and less of a a student as it were. Human beings are what makes the criminal justice system tick and uh, the more we are human the, the better we all are. And on that point, Ollie,
2: one thing that helped me uh, enormously, actually, at Gray's Inn was uh, participating in the Vocalise programme, which is the Gray's Inn Prison Debating Initiative. And that was incredibly useful not only for developing real-life advocacy skills through debating competitively with other law students. In the second term, I actually got to talk, teach debating to prisoners in prisons themselves, and that was something that developed uh, my confidence my ability to make up points quite quickly, to think on my feet and to to meet other barristers uh, or aspiring barristers as well. So that was an incredibly valuable experience. Unfortunately, I, unlike Ollie, I, my speaking r- roles in the theatre society were non-speaking roles. I wasn't as gifted, <laughs> potentially, at, um, as a gifted a thespian, perhaps. But that was, for me, Uh, an incredibly valuable experience that that Gray's offered. An incredibly fun one as well. To date was one of the the best things I did at law school.
1: I can definitely um, vouch for the Vocalise programme. I also taught Vocalise and it really teaches you, doesn't it, to think on your feet because you're in a situation, you go in there with this really detailed plan and you think, yep, great, we're going to do this, this and this. And then you get there and you realise your class are completely different to who they were last week or you realise what you planned wasn't actually going to be that interesting. And uh, we actually ended up doing a debate on Love Island, which was <laughs> completely off the <laughs> earth. It turns out that um, they will watch Love Island at 9pm in this particular prison. And it was great. <laughs> um, and I think that links really nicely um, what you've both been saying to what Marcus said at the beginning about how different experiences, which aren't necessarily related to the bar, can be really valuable. I think, Marcus, you said that you were making cocktails and doing other much more legally related things. But I think that really demonstrates um, the importance of soft skills, as you were just talking about, Oliver.
0: Yeah. It, it's an important um, aspect of what barristers do, and it's overlooked. If you've got to sit a client down and tell them that, best case, they're going to prison for 10 years, you're going to have to have some very good soft skills because that is a difficult Message to pass, and more importantly, when your client then tells you all about the children who are going to be taken into care, and the mortgage that will be defaulted on, and the wife will be homeless and such like, it's 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 a very difficult space to be in. And having empathy and having an ability to reassure in the face of the most devastating news uh, is something that you can only learn with time. And again that's part and parcel of the journey that we're all on and mentoring is is in marcus's case and in my case it's part of the journey the thing i love about mentoring is i learn um <laughs> through this process i you know i'm not doing this um uh, simply to better other people's existence although it gives me a great amount of satisfaction um that i'm able to do so but i learn when i explain to somebody like marcus a, a different approach that they might take and explain why that might be the better approach in order to do that i've got to have Put the pieces together and and been able to recognise why that's the better approach, and to have that own reflection is is improving my advocacy. Uh, I'm not sure if I ever told Marcus, but um, the few times that I was in court the day after he and I had done an advocacy session, I I, I often felt that it was some of my best advocacy because <laughs> in sitting down with Marcus and going through a process, it reminded me of the important elements of any good speech or any good plea and mitigation. Uh, and we become complacent. And having somebody you can share your knowledge with allows you to revisit everything that you know is is right and proper. And it removes from you the bad habits you've fallen into because nobody wants to teach other people bad habits. So you, you revisit what's good. And and, uh, and it's a brilliant process. I would heartily recommend mentoring to anyone because it, it makes you, I think... Um, A better advocate. I can't remember who it was, but somebody said years ago, if you can explain a concept to somebody else, then you have to have meticulously understood the concept because you won't convey the the message or the point or the concept unless you have a real understanding of it. And so by mentoring somebody else, you actually have to revisit what it is that you're trying to teach. Um, and so everyone everyone actually benefits.
2: Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd echo that completely. But from my perspective, actually listening to Ollie speak about the problem questions that I had, had grappled with myself, um, but also to see him perform his own advocacy based on the same facts was incredibly useful. So I learned a lot from just listening to him. And I think a lot of my learning in that process was subconscious. I had absorbed um, a lot of, his approach to certain facts. I had absorbed uh, tons of phrases that he used that I liked and these kinds of things. So there is definitely something to be said from, from a mentee's perspective of, of just listening, uh, taking notes and absorbing it. And sometimes the answer or the the right thing to say just comes to you automatically based on, you know, several conversations um, or, or sometimes something you've read as well. So it's important to, certainly complement the mentorship with with reading widely and, and listening to things but certainly listening to uh, to ollie was really valuable for me you know subconsciously and consciously
1: and this demonstrates as well the importance of self-reflection because it isn't just helping with your pupillage interviews it's going to really help in pupillage and oliver it's helped you in practice as well
0: absolutely yeah absolutely
1: before we end the podcast today are there any final words that you'd like to give people who will be applying for pupillage in the next round? Perhaps it'll be their first time, perhaps it'll be their fifth time. Is there anything that you would like to say to them?
2: I think, as I've said, mastering the basics of of your subject is really important. It will give you a lot of confidence as well. Um, As Ollie said, you really need to understand the basic concepts. And unfortunately, the the standard required uh, to get pupillage is quite high now. So you almost have to be an almost finished product before even getting in unfairly as that unfair as that is perhaps so mastering the basics and and loving the basics of your area of law is really important we've talked at length already about the importance of self-reflection and making reflective notes on on your interviews because they're incredibly useful in terms of the process of of creating them but also they're they're good to jog your memory when you come to prepare for other interviews we haven't really talked much about um paper applications ollie was kind enough also to look at some of my Paper applications as well, although it's fair to say that most of what we did was was oral advocacy practice. But I think one of the most useful things I learned in terms of drafting my many pupilage applications was adopting what they call the STAR structure, uh, which is situation, task, action, result. And in particular, focusing on the result of anything you've ever done and, and showing the learning or the thing that you have enjoyed about an experience is, is incredibly important and really adding colour to your paper application so that it, it stands out by focusing on the examples and, and describing them in a way that is engaging. So that's that would be my my practical advice. But beyond that I think as I said if if you have a vision of yourself doing this job, you really just have to never give up. You just have to keep going and you owe it to yourself to keep going until the door is, is shut, um, as painful as that is. And it has been painful <laughs> for me. But you just have to keep on going if if you love this, if you love the idea of it. And that would be my advice.
1: Oliver, are there any final words you'd like to give the listeners?
0: Uh, don't forget you're a human being. Be prepared to cry, be prepared to laugh, but more importantly, be prepared to work hard because that's what it takes nobody is necessarily going to be handed a pupillage on a plate the kind of strength of character that you need to do this job day in day out is born out of the process that you have to go through to get this job the irony is that um, in my day it was called the bar vocational course and um, the nature of a vocation is that you basically just turned up and somebody gave you the role of course in reality that's not right this is a incredibly difficult profession to get into it's the most wonderfully rewarding profession in many different guises but it's going to require a lot of soul searching and I would simply say to people just don't give up you'll know if it's for you because you'll have come far enough your your appetite and interest will be very much in place but you've just got to show resilience and you've got to show learning and you've got to show humanity and then put those things together and as Marcus has proved you will get there.
1: Marcus and Oliver thank you so much for joining us you've given us loads of useful insight which I'm sure many applicants will benefit from and it's been so great to hear about your mentoring relationship and how beneficial that's been for both of you and again Marcus congratulations on Pupillage.
2: Thank you so much.
1: You thoroughly deserve it and very well done and thank you for listening.
0: Thank you very much thanks Elena. Bye Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI.